Hi folks, and welcome back to another episode of What Happened. This is True Crime Chronicles, and this is episode 13. In today's episode, we're going to be talking about two Canadian killers, um, Carla Homolka and her husband, Paul Bernardo. This was such an infamous and shocking crime out of Canada in the 1990s. They were husband and wife killers who were sometimes referred to as the Barbie and Ken killers, especially in American media I found after that. They were called that for their youth, their good looks, and the shock value of what they had done. Together, they had abducted, raped, and murdered three young girls, including Carla's own younger sister that we know about. But separately, Paul was a rapist from right around the time that he met Carla, And one of those people walk around free today after a deal with the devil. But first, let's begin with a little background info on Paul and Carla. Carla Homolka was born in 1970 in Mississauga, Ontario, but raised in St. Catharines. She was the youngest, oh sorry, she was the oldest of three daughters in the Homolka family. Her two younger sisters were named Lori and Tammy. Unfortunately, we have to discuss Tammy a little bit later on, as she is a big part of this case. Carla's mother was a hospital administrator, and her father was a lampshade and curio dealer. As a child, Carla was bright and popular. By all accounts, she did very well in school, and she had lots of friends. After she graduated high school, she went to work in a veterinary clinic as an assistant. She really liked animals, and she wanted to work with them. Moving on to Paul Bernardo. Paul Bernardo was born in 1964 in Scarborough, Ontario. He was the youngest of three children. His father was an accountant, and his mother was a stay-at-home mom. There have been quite a lot of abuse allegations leveled against the father, Kenneth Bernardo, both physical and sexual Again, just allegations, but there's a lot of witnesses that say they saw and heard a lot of things from that family. Uh, Regardless of the situation at home, Paul grew up to be a friendly, outgoing, smart, and reliable person. However, the beginnings of trouble were starting to be evident in a very young Paul. As a teenager, he was caught repeatedly by neighbors peeking into their windows and trying to see people inside getting dressed. The police were even called, apparently, on at least one occasion. When he was 19 years old, he entered the University of Toronto to pursue accounting. Their paths cross when the two meet in 1987. Carla was 17 and Paul was 23. At this point, Paul was an accountant and Carla was out of high school, working in the veterinary veterinary, um, clinic. Um, when they wind up meeting in a hotel bar. They apparently hit it off immediately and began calling and seeing each other as often as possible. They wrote each other little love notes and they couldn't get enough of each other from everyone who knew the two from these initial stages. Eventually, Carla had Paul sleeping over to her house in St. Catharines. This would wind up having devastating effects for Carla's little sister Tammy in the coming years. In December of 1987, two months after meeting Carla, there was a violent rape that occurred in Scarborough, Ontario. It was reported by the young woman who was traumatized by her encounter. Then there was another violent rape in the area. 
then another, then another. In the next four years, there would be at least 18 violent, brutal rapes in the St. Catharines, Scarborough area. These were really brutal attacks where women were literally grabbed and dragged right off the sidewalk and beaten up badly during the attacks. They were forced to keep their heads down to the ground so as to hide the assailant's identity, and then they were violently assaulted. The rapist became known in the media and news as the Scarborough Rapist. The police were investigating all of the assaults as they happened. They had an FBI profiler working with them who gave a report that detailed the perpetrator would likely be a white male between the ages of 18 and 25, probably lives in Scarborough, and has an innate anger towards women. This person probably had lots of chaotic relationships and likely abusive ones, as well as some other characteristics. There was lots of evidence later on of abuse going on in Paul and Carla's relationship as well, but don't get me wrong, Carla is no victim. She was a rapist, abuser, and killer herself. If the two had never met, it's very difficult to say what would have happened, but they did, and that sealed the fate of poor little Tammy Hamolka, Kristen French, and Leslie Mahaffey. The first time Paul Bernardo was linked to the rapes in Scarborough was in January of 1988. An ex-girlfriend of his filed a report to attempt to recover some belongings and money from Paul that he owed her, but some of the details she gave the officer who made out the report concerned him enough to write a different report regarding Paul's possible link to the Scarborough rapes. The report was filed, but most likely never followed up on. The rapes continued, and so did Paul's relationship with Carla. One thing about Paul was that he always had a video camera, which was not that common in the early 90s. Uh, Not a lot of people had video cameras. There were no cameras in your phone. There were no cell phones. There really wasn't even internet at that point. Yet he was taking videos of everything, all the time. Funny stuff, sad stuff, vacations, times out, people just doing normal daily activities around their house. There was so much video evidence in this case, actually, from just recording the family at home to actually recording the drugging and abuse of Carla's sister, Tammy, and the abuse of the other girls the couple eventually began kidnapping. Paul's crimes progressed pretty quickly once they started. He eventually moved in with the Hamalkas. As his relationship with Carla progressed, he developed a fascination, or more accurately, an obsession, with Carla's younger sister, Tammy. Tammy was only 15 years old. She was a bubbly, beautiful, bright girl. Apparently, Paul wanted Tammy, and he told Carla all about it. Most girls would not only be devastated that their boyfriend or fiancé was interested in their younger sister, aside from the obvious fact that she was still a child, but not Carla. Nope. Carla wanted her man to have whatever he wanted. And so, for Christmas in 1990, Carla decided to give her boyfriend what he wanted most, her little sister. She planned out the whole attack. Carla... Um, took home the chemical halothane, which was a tranquilizer given to animals to put them to sleep from her job at the vet clinic 
She brought this home to help facilitate the abuse of her sister. On December 23, 1990, after the adults retired for the night, Carla and Paul brought Tammy downstairs to the rec room in the basement of the Homolka home. They all had alcoholic drinks, they plied Tammy with drink after drink, likely some drugs, and she passed out on the couch in the basement. When she passed out, Carla brought out the halothane. She soaked a cloth in halothane, and then Carla Homolka proceeded to hold that halothane-soaked cloth on Tammy's face over her mouth and nose to keep her unconscious. While Paul assaulted Tammy, this was held over her mouth and nose. After Paul assaulted Tammy, Carla herself sexually assaulted her own sister Tammy at Paul's urging. With absolutely no reservations, she drugged, then raped her little sister. She planned out the entire thing, and they taped the entire thing. Starting with Tammy still being conscious and drinking with them, to her entire assault. We know this because the tapes were found and admitted into evidence at Paul Bernardo's trial. And not by the prosecution either, by Paul's defense attorney. Wait for it, that's not all. Turns out Carla then killed her little sister because Tammy had a severe reaction to the halothane and she started throwing up and choking on her vomit. The killer couple began to panic they woke up the family and called 911. They concocted some story for the hospital and Carla's parents of Tammy drinking too much and, joke and choking on her vomit from alcohol. They said nothing of the halothane. They said nothing about the rape or the videotape. Nothing. The videotape, this and others, was hidden away by Paul and not found until much, much later by Paul's legal team after the police had searched the house repeatedly and not found it, although Carla did say there were tapes. It was hidden in the ceiling of Paul and Carla's home when it was finally found. I wonder what the Homolkas were thinking when they finally realized how their youngest daughter really died at the hands of their oldest daughter in such horrendous circumstances as Tammy did. Tammy was also noted at the hospital to have had chemical burns on her face. But this was not really looked into any more than that. It was just noted at that time. Her death was ruled an accident, and that was all there was to it. I guess after the assault and murder of your sister, I guess it probably gets easier to rape and kill, because that was just the beginning for Paul Bernardo and, Hom and Carla Homolka. They wind up moving into their own home on February the 1st, 1991. This is just a few months after the death of Carla's little sister, Tammy. They move into a home in St. Catharines. Now they have much more privacy with which to practice their horrendous activities. This brings us up to the abduction of Leslie Mahaffey. On June the 15th, 1991, Paul Bernardo encounters 14-year-old Leslie Mahaffey. It was late at night and she had missed her curfew and she was locked out of her house. She was outside on the steps trying to figure out what to do for the night. Bernardo pulled up, offered her a cigarette and somehow convinced her to get into his car. Once there, he threatened and blindfolded her. He then drove her home to Carla. Now, 
What would any other woman do if their boyfriend brought home a kidnapped child? Help him scare, torture, sexually assault, and then kill her? Not most women, but Carla Homolka? That's exactly what happened. They tortured, raped, and killed Leslie Bahafi. In their respective stories, the other actually killed Mahaffey. According to Paul, Carla killed her the next day by a lethal dose of Halcyon. According to Carla, Paul strangled Leslie. They videotaped the entire time they assaulted her, and it was played during Paul's trial. I mean, this guy videotaped all of his crimes. It's astounding. Thank God they did in a way, because that is what got them caught, especially Paul. Considering they are both liars, though, let's assume they both had equal parts in her death. They dismembered her body next, and then they encased the body parts in concrete. They dumped the concrete pieces in Lake Gibson, but one piece, which was about 200 pounds, was not fully submerged. They had trouble getting it into the water, and this piece of concrete was partly still on land. This was the piece that was found, and that's how the police found Leslie Mahaffey. Paul and Carla got married on June the 29th of 1991. This is just two weeks after the abduction and murder of Leslie Mahaffey, and ironically, the exact same day her remains were discovered. When the tapes were finally found, it was evident that Leslie Mahaffey, Kristen French, and Tammy Hamolka were not the only victims of this depraved couple. Apparently, they drugged and assaulted other girls and women, most notably a friend of Carla's who didn't even know that she had been assaulted until police got access to those tapes. Although it does beg the question, were there more murders that we don't know about? Not on tape, I guess, or not on those particular tapes. The next abduction that we know about was that of 15-year-old Kristen French. On April the 16th, 1992, she was walking home through a church parking lot after school. The killer couple pulled up beside her and pretended to need directions to somewhere. She was then abducted from there and brought to the couple's home. There was some evidence left at this scene. One of Kristen's shoes was left at the scene, and a witness reported to the police seeing a couple, a female and a male, struggling with a young girl in that parking lot at that time. This is now the first time the police have suspects and any idea at all that a female was involved. Unfortunately, in Kristen's case, this couple kept Kristen for longer, for days, torturing her and assaulting her for days, like I said, and taping the whole thing. Over the Easter weekend was when this all occurred. Carla apparently didn't want to leave her alone in the house to go eat Easter dinner at her parents, so she devised a plan to kill Kristen before they leave in case she could escape or something like that. So Carla said that she wanted Paul to kill her and get rid of her before they went to her parents for Easter dinner. So Kristen was killed. She was strangled by one or both of them, and her body was found in a ditch on April the 30th because Carla wanted to go to her parents to eat dinner and not leave anybody alive.
When her body was found, it was found washed with all of her hair cut off. Carla said this was to obscure her identity. However, that makes no sense at all. There are a million other ways of determining Kristen's identity, especially given the fact that there's a missing person report filed about her. She looks exactly the same in every other way. Anyway, it is unclear if the couple kidnapped or killed anyone else, but their run of killing ended suddenly after a particularly abusive encounter between Paul and Carla. Paul one day beat Carla up so bad on this occasion that she decided to leave for good. Consequences be damned. I guess she decided at that point that being in jail would be preferable to living with Paul. On January the 5th, 1993, Carla went to the police to file a restraining order against Paul, and she eventually told the police her version of events. Of course, a version that minimized her activities in the crimes as much as possible. She reported that her husband was not only the Scarborough rapist, but also the abductor and murderer of Leslie Mahaffey and Kristen French. After Carla implicated Paul, the police never really had any other evidence, only Carla's word. That isn't enough evidence to arrest somebody, and it's sure not enough evidence to find somebody guilty. So they booked and arrested Paul for the assault against Carla, And in order to have enough evidence to bring Paul to trial and secure a conviction, the Crown was in a very precarious position. They didn't have enough evidence without Carla's cooperation and testimony to charge or convict Paul, and they still didn't really know what her level of involvement was. They knew she had to be involved, yes, but like I said, she played the victim and basically made herself out to be Paul's victim as almost as much as the girl's. The tapes were not found yet. She was scared of Paul like they were, she said. She had to do what he told her, she said. So to solidify Carla's voluntary involvement of all the assaults and her willing participation in the murders, again, the tapes had not been found. So the police knew what the police knew at that point, which was not a lot. This brings us up to what became known as the deal with the devil. The police agreed to offer Carla a deal where she would plead guilty to two counts of manslaughter for the deaths of Leslie and Kristen and receive 12 years and get time served and likely an early release as a sentence with the stipulation that she also testify against Paul in his trial. On May the 14th, 1993, that deal was signed. On May the 18th, 1995, Paul's trial begins. Bernardo was charged with two counts, each of kidnapping, unlawful confinement, aggravated sexual assault, and first-degree murder and dismemberment for Kristen French and Leslie Mahaffey. The tapes are found right around the time of Bernardo's arrest for the murders while he had been held in jail for the assault against Carla. Bernardo's lawyers found the tapes right where he told them to go find them, in the ceiling, hidden away. On these tapes are the torture and assaults of Tammy, Leslie, Kristen, and other females. Carla's eager participation is evident on these tapes. These tapes were shocking. The people who had the unfortunate task of having to view them 
have likely never been the same again. On the tapes, Carla is seen helping to sexually assault the victims, laughing about things, mocking the victims. It's really, really disturbing. Bernardo's lawyer used them to to minimize Paul's participation in the events to try to throw a lot of the blame on Carla, especially for the actual murders. The actual murders themselves were not on these tapes, so that became who said what. He said, she said, who knows? Paul and Carla are the only two who really do. Without the deal with the devil, as this deal became known in Canada, Carla would be right there, same as Paul, rotting away in a jail cell for the rest of her depraved life, which is where she belongs. But that is not what happened. Sometimes what should happen is not what does happen. The Crown honored Carla's deal even after the tapes were found, partially so as not to discourage other people from making deals with authorities in the future. Carla sat in the witness stand for 17 days recounting testimony. Whatever can be believed in all of that anyway. Paul Bernardo's trial was four months long. And on September the 1st, 1995, after only eight hours of deliberation, Paul Bernardo was convicted on all counts. He was sentenced to 25 years with no parole for the murders, and although he is technically up for parole, he will never get it. In Canada, we don't have a death penalty anymore, and a lot of people get released earlier than the same crimes committed in the US, but people like Bernardo will never get out of jail. Paul Bernardo will never, ever get out of jail again. I feel short in saying that, and I'm a Canadian. Thank God for that. Meanwhile, Carla studied while in prison and attended online courses while in jail, received her bachelor's degree in psychology from Queen's University. She got a better education and future than a lot of Canadians have. A lot of hard-working, tax-paying, law-abiding, not murderous Canadians will never have a chance of having. The taxpayers and Canadian public were outraged at the entire thing. The deal with Carla, the publication bans that were put in place to stop people from finding out about these things, the shoddy police work, Carla's bright future, it wasn't good. On July 4th, 2005, Carla was released from prison with no restrictions. She changed her name and after moving around a bit, settled in Quebec, Canada, hoping that would be the least conspicuous place to live in Canada. I don't think she can go anywhere where people wouldn't eventually recognize her as Carla Homolka, no matter what she chooses to call herself. In 2016, Carla was reportedly found working, get this, as an elementary school volunteer for field trips and such. There was public uproar. Imagine Carla Homolka, who raped and killed young girls, including her own little sister, being allowed to work with and watch over children. Mind-boggling, that? Carla may be free, and she shouldn't be, but she will never have peace. I don't know what her conscience does or does not do to her, but Canada will never let her forget what she did or allow her to ever be free of it or to live a normal life ever again. It's a ball and chain attached to her now forever, as it should be. Well, folks, that's what happened. 
Thank you so much for tuning in to episode 13 featuring the killer couple, Paul Bernardo and Carla Homolka. Please join me next time. And as usual, please share and listen to the podcast. See you next time on What Happened, True Crime Chronicles. Thank you.